0: Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 8 So? Filthy Henry said. So? Shelley said. Really? A place with nothing magical going on at all? Has two guys walking about with a spell clearly cast on them? And the best you could manage is, so? Cahal looked at Shelley and Drew, greatly confused at how they had managed to get back inside the house. When their voices had first echoed down the hallway, he had jumped out of his chair and ran to the living room door, only to be baffled at their sudden appearance. Neither Drew nor Shelley even commented on the wonderful feat they had achieved, entering a building which had no entrances. Instead, they had dropped all their bags at the foot of the stairs and walked past Cahal into the living room. He had stared wistfully down the hallway at the spot where once his front door had stood, then followed them into the room and sat down on the sofa again. Shelley had started to talk almost immediately, something which appeared to irk Filthy Henry just a little. I still must be missing the point, Filthy Henry said. Really, Drew said. I mean, even I'm seeing the point here, and I don't have a hundredth of the magic at my disposal that you do. Filthy Henry glared at the druid for a moment, then turned his gaze on Shelley again. You think that these two are mixed up in this bull thing? Of course I do. You're always saying that in magic there's no such thing as a coincidence. In a town with no fairy folk at all, and us on a case to prevent a magical bull being stolen, what else could two guys clearly under a spell be mixed up in? Cahill had to admit, there was no dismissing her logic. That was, of course, if you agreed that all this talk about magic and rubbish was real and not just a group delusion. Then again the front door and all the windows to his house had vanished into thin air the night before so maybe something magical was afoot. But there were guys on the television that could make cards float before a person's eyes and that was all just tricks with mirrors and threads. Maybe Filthy Henry had just put up a mirror in front of the door. At least that was a plausible theory that did not involve magic. Well where did they go after you got in the taxi? Filthy Henry asked. Shelley shrugged. I don't know. Drew lost track of them, so we came back here to tell you. I didn't know I was meant to be keeping an eye on them, the druid said. Nobody tells me the plan. They just expect me to bloody know it. The fairy detective shook his head. Well, you aren't much use tailing people, he said, walking over to the kitchen and putting on the kettle. Guess we'll just have to keep an eye out for them. Drew, did you bring that book I asked you for? Drew the druid rose from his seat and walked out into the hallway returning a minute later with a large black leather-bound book. He brought it over to the kitchen table and placed it down. As requested, although I'm not sure why you couldn't just buy a copy rather than treat my shop like a magical library. Filthy Henry smiled at Drew, taking down four cups from the press over the sink and placing them on the kitchen counter beside the boiling kettle. He dropped a teabag into each one. Now why would I do that when it's so much cheaper doing things my way? Drew rolled his eyes. Cahill was finding that, as this bizarre situation went on, his levels of confusion only seemed to increase. Filthy Henry had spent the previous night explaining the situation to Cahill, why they needed his help to save the world. A lot of it sounded crazy, but the fairy detective had been adamant that Cahill was destined to be some big damn heroic legend. He had eventually agreed to help Filthy Henry with his case mainly just to stop him talking so they could get some sleep. If playing along with a complete lunatic who thought fairies and magic were real earned Cahill a date with Alice, then what was the harm? Worst case scenario, nothing came of the entire affair. Alice continued to ignore his advances and once the doors returned, Cahill could go drinking in the town again. Plus, it was not like he had anything else on the go at the minute. The drink fund was terribly low and work up on Higgins's farm did not start for another month. If nothing else, playing along with these intruding guests for a few days would be a nice way to pass the time. He looked over at the fireplace and thought about the bottle of whisky that was hidden up there. An emergency supply, intended for the mother of all hangovers which would prevent him leaving the house. For a long time now the bottle had nestled in between two bricks, with a third obscuring it from sight. Cahill figured the contents of the bottle might have helped make this entire affair much easier to follow. Soon, Cahill whispered to himself, eyeing the bottle's hiding spot. As the kettle came to the boil, Filthy Henry poured hot water into each of the cups, then brought all four over to the kitchen table. He placed them together in the centre and sat down. Carl Filthy Henry said as he dragged the book closer, how much do you know about the legendary bull that lives in this area? Paying attention in school had never been one of Cahill's strong skills. Daydreaming, he had excelled at, but retaining anything that a teacher had said proved slightly impossible. All that he could truly recall from his years in state education was that the teachers never wanted people to enjoy their weekends and piled on the homework. Then again, when Cahill had discovered the wonders of drinking cheap cider in a field, the world had changed. From a place where you needed to learn random facts into one where you just had to earn enough coin to get the next drink. This, of course, meant his knowledge of things in the local area left a lot to be desired. He could get from his house to O'Hare's and back again, blind, stinking drunk. But on any strange bovine information, his mental chalkboard was completely empty. There had been the bull which his family had owned, but that was no longer around. A very thirsty Cahill, in need of some beer beans, quickly had seen to that he shrugged in response to Filthy Henry's question. Then get over here, grab a cup, and sit down, while I tell you a tale of origin that would only make sense if the author of the story had been drunk when writing it. Meaning, you shouldn't have any problem understanding it, the fairy detective said, flicking through the book and stopping when he had found the page he sought. Begrudgingly, Cahill pulled himself up from the sofa and walked over to the kitchen table, hoping that after this the dream would be over and he could wake up very hungover. The fairy detective began to read out the tale. Long ago, in an Ireland filled with magic and wonder, there lived two farmers. These farmers were known throughout the land, not for their farming prowess, but rather the magical abilities they possessed. Both of them could change into any living creature at the top of a hat. This was how they had managed to never lose a cow, or require a sheepdog to guide their flocks. In the blink of an eye, They would simply transform into an animal and communicate with their herds. A very useful trait when you needed to move some mindless cows from one field to the next. Telling them in their own language that the grass on the other side was greener made things much easier. Cows generally prefer to eat the greenest grass around. As fate would have it, both of the cows... Whoa, 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 just stop this already. Filthy Henry looked up from the book, mildly annoyed at the interruption. Shelley had waved her hands in the air almost as soon as the story started, ending the tale prematurely with her little outburst. "'What's wrong with you?' the fairy detective asked. "'I haven't even got to the good stuff yet. It was all just backstory, history, plot development, that sort of thing. Very important information required to explain how the two magical bulls came into existence.' Shelley crossed her arms and frowned. "'Really? You expect me to believe that load of crap?' If this was a novel, it sounded like you were building for about five pages of filler, just to make some daily word count. The fairy detective gasped mockingly and brought his hand up to cover his mouth. Well, I have never been so offended in my entire life, he said. Drew dragged the book across the table and started to read from the open pages. Cottle stood behind the druid and read over his shoulder. Just give us the abridged version, Shelley said to the pair. I don't really feel like listening to a tall tale made even taller. I'm a true artist. Never appreciated in my own time, Phil De Henry said, leaning back in his seat. Maybe artists don't go around beating people up and kidnapping them, Carl said. That story's lame. I mean, what about the big battle and Coo Cullen fighting everyone off on his own? With nothing but a hurley stick. Surely that's a more entertaining yarn than two old codgers going on a drinking bender. What's the story then? Shelley asked. Drew looked up from the book and cleared his throat. Looks like a pair of farmers with magical abilities got really drunk and entered into a shape-shifting contest. All because one of them called the other a... oh, some sort of rude name. Long story short, they were flying in the air and changed into maggots, which then dropped into a water trough used by two bulls. There was a time limit on how fast they could change, and before it ran out, the bulls slurped them up. Then... As they got digested, they turned the bulls into two magical animals with great powers. Not that the bulls actually know this. The end. Shelley looked from Drew to Filthy Henry. Yet you were gearing up for a big, long, rambling yarn? I mean, why would the drunken adventures of two farmers warrant a drawn-out story? Filthy Henry shrugged. It never ceased to amaze him how people not born into the fairy world found the old stories to be boring or unbelievable. Aliens stealing cows from a field in Cork. No problem. Shape-changing farmers having a drunken duel to the death. Preposterous. Shelley does kind of have a point, Drew said. I mean, whoever wrote down the legend of the tawn clearly decided that this farmer crap was boring as hell. I've read the legend. There's no real mention of them. It's all about the cattle raid and the battle and the boy who saves the world. You know, the entertaining stuff. The fairy detective rolled his eyes. Hollywood legends, that's what you three want. Anyway, you asked what was so special about the bulls. Whatever was done to them after they had their little farmer snack made them two halves of a very powerful whole. Whoever has both bulls in their possession could literally do anything they wanted, assuming, of course, they're human. The bulls would never work for a full-blood fairy. So how come they've been kept apart? Drew asked, closing the book with a loud thump. The bulls walked off after the change. One went south, the other north. Some kings found them, took ownership of them and prospered. Almost as if the bulls attracted wealth or something. Then, as with most things, legends sprung up about the bulls and the kings did everything in their power to keep them. I'd say, long ago, a fairy tipped off the raiders about the importance of the bull. Get a human to control both, then use them to reshape the world as only a fairy could see fit. At least Cahill knows enough now to understand why we're going to be training him, so he can better protect his bull. Cahill craned his neck forward and cupped a hand around his left ear. Sorry, he said. I didn't really catch that last bit. Training for what now? Training to do as your ancestor did all those years ago, Henry said. Come on, we talked about this last night. You are going to save the brown bull of Cooley from being taken by a bunch of invaders. the white powder dissolved into the hot water and turned it a milky colour. If it had not been an extremely blasphemous thing to do, Mammy Cullen would have made a joke about turning water into milk. Instead, she screwed on the bottle top, popped the silicone nipple up and shook the contents a few times. From a little ball pit in the corner of the kitchen, close to the radiator, came a squeal of delight. Oh, you've seen your bottle, have you, you cheeky monkey, Mammy Cullen said to the baby. His eyes were fixed on the bottle in her hand, his little pudgy arms and legs moving so fast that it looked like he was about to take flight. With each flap of a limb, the multicoloured balls in the pit bounced around randomly, causing more baby sounds of joy and further limb flapping. If only your big brother could have stayed attached to these bottles, Mammy Cullen said, walking over to the ball pit and lifting the baby up in her arms. Maybe he wouldn't have made so many bad choices with his life. The baby smiled a big gummy smile and reached towards his mother's mouth with tiny fat fingers. There was a look of serious concentration on his cherub-like face as he focused on the action. When his fingers touched her cheek, he seemingly decided this was enough work for the day and started to wiggle in her arms. "'I know, honey,' Mammy Cullen said, placing the bottle into a pot of cold water. "'But we do this every night. You can't break tradition. Traditions are important.' She carried the child out of the kitchen and down the hallway into the living room. A cosy fire burned in the fireplace. The room was toasty warm. Mammy Cullen walked over to a little side cabinet, upon which stood some family photos in little silver frames, and smiled. With more wiggles the baby started to show that he was not exactly happy with the lack of bottle feeding going on. It'll only take a few minutes for the bottle to cool down, Mammy Cullen said. Now, say hi to your daddy. Reaching down amongst the picture frames, Mammy Cullen picked up the largest of them all. It had pride of place, sitting centrally on the unit with all the other frames positioned around it, so as not to obscure it in any way. Inside the frame was a photo, slightly faded from the years, of a handsome young man with a mop of dark red hair. He smiled out from the picture with teeth that would melt any woman's heart, teeth which had melted Mammy Cullen's the first night she had seen them, many moons ago. The man was standing in a big open field with his two muscular arms crossed in front of his wide chest. Behind him stood a large brown bull, the most magnificent creature any farming family had ever seen. Even though it was not possible, Mammy Cullen always swore the animal was staring into the camera as well, as if it knew the photo was being taken and decided to pose with Ulysses. The baby reached down and started slapping the glass of the picture frame. That's right. That's your daddy. And the bowl your brother sold for a cheap bottle of whiskey because he's in a bad place? As expected, this statement meant very little to the child. He leaned forward slightly, causing Mammy Cullen to adjust her hold on him and prevent the baby falling, then dribbled a little on the picture. Oh, he would have loved to see seen you grow up, she said, placing the frame back down and giving it a wipe. He only had sisters. You and your brother are such a rarity for the Cullen family. Two boys in the same generation. This family is big on keeping traditions alive. You'll appreciate that when you grow up. She started to look over the other photo frames on the unit, focusing on a picture of her eldest child. He was standing with a big grin on his face, arm wrapped around a young girl who was clearly uncomfortable with having her photo taken. They were both wearing their school uniforms, and it was, at least Mammy Cullen hoped, from a time before Ulysses had started drinking. It was always hard for Irish parents to truly figure out when their children officially started to consume alcoholic beverages. The hope was that they held out until 18 years of age at least, or only drank some cheap rubbish in a friend's house while under the legal drinking age. Something with an alcohol level that basically put it on par with water. A smile tugged at the corner of her mouth as she stared down at the two teenagers and thought about a time when things were much simpler for the Cullen family. Ah, if only he and Alice had started dating then. How such a pretty girl could be so shy. It's a shame, I tell you. With a gurgle of disinterest, the baby fell back into the crook of his mother's arm and started to cry, going from placid noises to psychotic crying in the blink of an eye. Okay, Carl, calm down, Mammy Cullen said, then tuttered to herself. For the love of God, now he has me doing it. At least nobody's around to hear me. Now. Let's go get little Ulton his bottle She turned around and headed back towards the kitchen Accompanied by the screeching cries of a hungry baby Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend Is a novel by Derek Power More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle Narration and music by Niall Milton To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe, or like, or share? We'd really appreciate it.